Well, good morning. Are you all slaves to fear? Are we children of God? All right. Now I know that you know how to answer questions, so when I call upon you later, don't be afraid to answer. What is your answer? That's the title of my message this morning. Before I, oh yes, he is the answer. Thank you. (laughs) Our main scripture passage this morning comes from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. But before I go there this morning, let me share this opening thought with you. The year was 1521. And a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther stood before the church leaders And he was asked a question. Will you or will you not recant? And he answered, quote, Unless I am convinced by the testimonies of Scripture and by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. And then he said, I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Amen. Martin Luther stood alone. He risked excommunication from the church. He risked death, but he could not keep silent. He was asked a question, and he gave an answer. Guido de Bray stood alone. Now, who was Guido de Bray? He was a Dutch reformer, and he was a student of John Calvin. He was the author of the Belgic Confession that's used by the CRC denomination. Guido de Bray, he's gone. Guido de Bray stood alone. He was brought before the Spanish Inquisition. He was asked questions and he gave answers. And he was martyred for his faith in 1567. Brothers and sisters, have you ever felt like you stood alone in your faith with no one to come to your defense, no allies to back you up? Some of our great heroes of our faith had times in their lives where they stood alone and they risked their lives to stand up for their faith. And in some places in the world still today, Christian believers risk imprisonment or death if they give an answer, will you renounce the name of Jesus? They would be asked. And they answered, no, they would not. Well, this morning, we're going to see that the prophet Elijah stood alone. Well, at least he thought he did. And so this morning, I would invite you to enter into the story with me from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21 through 40. Elijah went before the people and said, 
How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and place it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then I will prepare the other bull and cut it into pieces and place it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, what you say is good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call upon the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a god. Maybe he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be called Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And then he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and placed it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the sacrifice and on the wood. Do it again, he said to them. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered them, and they did it a third time, and the water ran down around the sacrifice and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you, O Lord, O God of Israel, that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these your people would know that you are God and you are drawing their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up all of the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, bless your word through your servant, to your people, for your glory, in your world. Amen. Now, about 20 years ago, a church that I was part of in downtown Toronto had a scripture memorization group. There was one group that memorized the entire book of Ruth, and they presented it, presented it at a, as a dramatic reading at, a, at our evening church service. Another group had memorized the entire book of Habakkuk, and they presented it as a, at a, as a dramatic reading at the evening worship service. And there were three of us that had memorized portions of the entire life of Elijah. And that was one of three passages that I memorized 20 years ago, and it's burned into my mind, and I wanted to read it dramatically for you this morning. All right. When I was with you back in September, and if you were here, you weren't here, don't worry, I'm going to bring us up to speed. I was here for your kickoff service. You were entering your week of fasting and prayer, and we met up that week with the prophet Elijah. And that week, I said to you that Elijah went to Ahab, who was the most wicked king that Israel had ever had, and Elijah told the king that because of his disobedience and because he worshipped false gods, there would be no rain in the land until Elijah said otherwise. And it was going to be three and a half years. And then Elijah went into hiding. Now, normally when someone goes on the run and into hiding, it's not good. I mean, Jonah, for example, he went on the run. He went into hiding. He tried to run away from God. Well, Jonah wasn't going to get himself out of God's call on his life. But here, Elijah goes into hiding, and it's mandated by God. And he spent three years, first by a brook, and ravens brought him bread and meat morning and night, and he drank from the brook. And then when the brook dried up, God sent Elijah to a widow outside of the kingdom of Israel, I might add. And that widow and her son were down to their last meal. They were going to die of starvation. But the passage from September that I had led us in Elijah prophesied that the jar of oil was never going to run dry, the, the jar of flour was never going to run dry, and the jug of oil would never run out. 
Elijah obeyed God and God provided every day, seeming in impossible circumstances. And at the end of my message back in September, the challenge that I issued to all of you was to make this coming year a time that you are looking for God in impossible circumstances. Well, this morning we read on in the story of Elijah. And Elijah is now going back to King Ahab. Now, the verses that just precede our text this morning, Elijah does indeed go to Ahab. And remember, they haven't seen each other in about three years. And Ahab begins by asking a question. Is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? And let me tell you something. The Hebrew word here that comes from the same root for troublemaker is also the root in Hebrew for the word viper or snake. Ahab calls Elijah a snake. Well, Ahab asked a question. Is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? Elijah had an answer. Elijah responded, I'm not the troublemaker of Israel. I'm not the viper. You and your family are. Verse 18, just before our text this morning, says, You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Elijah stands alone. And so he invites all of the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and another 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 total, to join him on Mount Carmel. We're going to have ourselves a showdown here. We're going to solve this and settle this once and for all. And so our text began this, begins this morning with Elijah asking the question, how long will you waver between two opinions? Eugene Peterson's The Message says it quite aptly, how long are you going to sit on the fence? But the people said Nothing, verse 21 tells us. They answered him not a word, the King James says. Elijah asked a question, but they did not give an answer. So let's pause just for a moment and look at this silence. I think the people know that they're guilty. You know, if they weren't, you'd think they would defend themselves, wouldn't you think? Hold that thought. Because if we go back in Scripture, into the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, we're going to see something very similar here. Joshua chapter 4, and I'm going to start at verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your, father, your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people said, Far be it for us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt." from the, that, that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on the entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. 
And the Lord drove us out, drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord and the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey, and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law. And then he took a large stone and set it there under an oak by the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all of the words the Lord said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Joshua told the people to make a decision, and they made it clear whom they were going to serve. They were not lost for an answer. They were very eager to answer, too eager, maybe. When Joshua said to them, you are not able to serve the Lord, he said, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, disaster will come to you. But they promised that they would be faithful to God. But here in our passage this morning, the people are silent. They seem to have forgotten the covenant that God made with their forefathers. You know, about four years ago, I did a seven-week series to the seven letters in the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I got to preach them again a second time when I was at Calvin Seminary in Michigan last year. And then a third time at Maranatha CRC in Bowmanville. I tell you that because these seven letters follow a very predictable pattern. First, Jesus tells the people, this is what you're really doing well. And then he says, but this is what I have against you. The first of those seven letters were to the church in Ephesus. And their sin was that they had forgotten their first love. Well, it seems here to me that the people of Israel have too. They've wandered far away from God. How far? Well, we're going to see that in just a moment. But Elijah stands alone. He's the only one of the Lord's prophets left. And he goes before the people and says, Well, what's it going to be? Who are you going to serve? And what did they say? Nothing. Thank you. They said nothing at all. Okay. Picture now, who's there? 450 prophets of Baal are there, 400 prophets of Asherah are there, but all of the people of Israel, they're, they're all there too. All of them are silent. You'd think that somebody was going to speak up in defense of their God, but we don't hear from anyone. But Elijah's question 
whom are you going to serve, cannot go without an answer. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? There needs to be an answer. Joshua asked the question hundreds of years before, but no one said a word. Now, I'm a Niagara boy, born and bred. I was raised just outside of Niagara Falls, and in Niagara Falls, we all know the story of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a French daredevil who in the 1850s crossed over the Niagara Gorge on a tightrope. And over the next few years, he completed the feat several times, each time a little more daring. He did it blindfolded, he did it walking backwards, he did it pushing a wheelbarrow. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because each time, Blondin supposedly asked the crowd if they believed that he could do the next feat. And as the story goes, they believed that he could do it. They gave an answer. But tell me, if you had been there 170 years ago and Blondin got out his wheelbarrow and asked this question, do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope pushing someone in that wheelbarrow? The crowd would likely have given an answer. They believed that he could do it. Okay. Who's going to get in? Aha! Gotcha! Now I bet there would be silence. Now I bet there would be no answer. Just like the people of Israel were silent when Elijah asked his question. The people of Israel were wavered between two decisions. But now they're silent. There's no one stepping up to the plate. No one was going to get into that proverbial wheelbarrow. And so Elijah goes on. And in verse 23 of our text this morning, Elijah issues the challenge. He tells them, go get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and place it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Aha! Now they speak up, do they? Now they give a response. What you say is good. They accept Elijah's word, but the people of Israel and his opponents too, I would imagine. And so the prophets of Baal take their turn. And they cut their bull into pieces and they place it on the wood. And they began to call out, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no what? There was no answer. You good or you're good at this. See, the prophets of Baal call out. They make a plea, but there was no answer. There was no response. Now, now really now, we get to the fun part of our text this morning. Verse 27 says, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Now, friends, when Elijah said maybe he's busy, some of you may know this, the nuance of the Hebrew of maybe he's busy is He's in the bathroom. 
He's taking a leak. He's having his morning constitutional. I mean, Elijah's really letting them have it. Maybe he's traveling, maybe he's asleep. Now let me put this in our 21st century context for us. And I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but their God is out of the office at the moment. His cell phone is turned off and he's taking a nap. And Elijah is brutal about it. What kind of God are they serving if he's out of the office or on vacation or in the bathroom when they need him? But brothers and sisters, we serve a God that doesn't go on vacation. Amen? Amen. We serve a God that is never out of the office. Amen? We serve a God that doesn't need a potty break. Psalm 121 verse 4 reads, Indeed, he who watches over us will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, we could stop right here this morning We know the majesty of our God. We know that we have a God that is always there for us and who will never forsake us. But our story goes on. And Elijah told the prophets of Baal to shout louder. And they danced around the altar. And they did themselves self-harm. They slashed themselves with swords and spears. They prophesied all afternoon. But verse 29 of our text ends exactly the same way verse 26 had. That there was no no answer. No one paid attention. That's the result of serving false gods. Psalm 115, starting at verse 4, we read these words. But their idols are silver and gold made by hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. It was all for nothing. They could have kept it up for weeks on end. There never would be a response. Well, then it's Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, sure. Then it's Elijah's turn. How many prophets of Baal? 450. How many prophets of Asherah? 400. How many prophets of Israel? One. Elijah was alone, outnumbered 850 to one. But Elijah has work to do. The altar of the Lord was in ruins. Think about this just for a moment. Our passage this morning started out with the question, how long will you waver between two opinions? Just how far had the people of Israel wandered? How bad had it gotten since they they had told Joshua that they would serve the Lord unwaveringly? The altar on Mount Carmel was in ruins. People weren't even going there to make sacrifices anymore. That's how far they had wandered from God. No wonder they said nothing in verse 21. So Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he built an altar in the name of the Lord, saying, Your name shall be called Israel. That's what was said to Jacob the day that he had wrestled with an angel all night long. 
And Elijah dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold three and a half gallons of water. Now this is four liters, which is about one gallon. After Elijah had repaired the altar, he arranged the wood and put the, put, the, put the sacrifice on the wood. And Elijah tells them to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And they do it a second and a third time. Okay, math scholars, help me out here. Four jars of water, three times. Four times three, twelve. How many stones to rebuild the altar? How many tribes of Israel? Very good. And Elijah poured the water over the sacrifice and on the wood, and it even fills the trench. And Elijah told them, back in verse 24, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, tell me, you campers and outdoorsy kinds of people, and I certainly am not, if you're trying to light a campfire with soaking wet wood, how likely are you to succeed? No, not likely at all. You know what? I think we have an impossibility here. Are you still looking for your impossibilities? That was my question back in September. Wet wood isn't going to start a fire. You're going to have an impossibility here. But in verses 36 and 37 of our text this morning, we read these words. God has an amazing prayer. Elijah has an amazing prayer. Oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God of Israel and I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these your people would know that I, you are God and you are drawing their hearts back again. Twice, Elijah asked God to answer. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, when you have a repetition of this sort, answer me, O Lord, answer me, you really have to sit up and take notice. When something is repeated twice in Hebrew, you really have to pay attention. All day long, the prophets of Baal had called out and there was no response. But in verse 38 of our text this morning, the God of Israel did answer. And the fire came down and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood. It burned up the stones and licked up all the water in the trench. Now, I don't know a whole lot about fire, to be honest with you. But one thing I do know, stones aren't burned up. Okay, campers and outdoorsy people, you put stones around your campsite. One, because it radiates the heat in, but second, because the stones aren't going to burn. Stones don't burn. But here in our passage this morning, the fire from God burned up the entire sacrifice, the wood and the stones and all. And this time, the people of God weren't silent. This time, they fell prostrate down on their knees with their faces to the ground and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They said it twice. Double repetition. Keep in mind, if you see something t written twice in the Old Testament in Hebrew, 
You have to pay attention. The Lord, He is God. That's the proclamation. Elijah prayed that once and for all their hearts are going to be drawn back again. And right now, they were. That wasn't going to last, not by a long shot. But here in our passage this morning, the people said that God, their, the, the Lord was their God again. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our passage this morning shows about a sacrifice that was made on a mountain. But of course, there is another mention of a sacrifice being made on a mountain in Scripture. Our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross to save us from our sins. Silence was not the end of the story on Mount Carmel, and silence was not the end of the story on Calvary. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus hung on that cross, the ground shook like an earthquake, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And a Roman centurion, therefore not Jewish, exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. It was a foreigner who saw Jesus for who he was. There was no silence. There was a proclamation. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning, I want us all to know that we serve a God who answers. We serve a God who made himself known in the fire on Mount Carmel, and he makes himself known today in the man who died for our sins on the cross. There can be no silence. There can be no indecision. There can be no wavering between two opinions. Either God is the God of all aspects of our lives, or He is not. Either He is Lord of all, or He's not at all. If we're not willing to get into God's wheelbarrow, then we truly aren't saying with our whole hearts, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. We have to give an answer. We can't be silent. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's make our stand. Elijah was outnumbered 850 to 1. There may be times in our lives when following God, when following Jesus and obeying His commands will be hard. It's going to sound like an impossibility. There's going to be times when we feel like we're going to be all alone. But our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is always with us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So this morning, friends, let's cling to God. Even in impossible circumstances, let's keep looking for Jesus in all of our impossibilities. And let's keep watching as God provides. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we call out with one voice, the Lord, He is God. You are our God, and today we choose to serve You. Father, we know that we are weak and feeble. We know that sometimes it is going to be very hard to follow You. 
And yes, Father, we are going to fall. Yes, we are going to continue to sin, but Lord Jesus, you continue to be with us even in impossible circumstances. Holy Spirit, come and dwell inside of us. Give us strength, give us courage to serve you with all our hearts and minds and body and soul and strength that we call out to you that you are our God. All this we pray in your mighty name. Amen.